Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Say Who Say Pod. He is still Danny O'Neill. I am still Christian Capel. Uh, the big news out of the University of Washington this week, Sam Heward has entered the transfer portal, the redshirt freshman, former five-star signee and UW legacy, uh, leaves the Huskies having appeared in only five games. Surprising, um, but but also not really, right? Because he is the third-string quarterback on a Power 5 roster. Those guys typically don't stick around long-term. Um, if anybody ever was going to, it was someone whose last name was Heward who had grown up right in the, in the, in the Huskies' backyard and, and always wanted to be part of this program, and I think he still does, but not tremendously surprising to, to see him moving on in the end, I think. It's hard to imagine a guy with the recruiting pedigree that he had to say, I'm going to sit for three years, right? Because that's essentially what we'd be talking about. Yes, he played some last season, but even then, the way he was used was so stupid and goofy. I, I'm not shocked. And and frankly, I'm not disappointed. Or like I think it's a great decision for him. If if he wants to play, which is totally understandable, and what every player does, I I think he I think he should go somewhere. Kid, he he could play, and I generally feel that we don't acknowledge how great the Heward brothers were. Like they're for as successful as they were as quarterbacks, they both took an unfair amount of grief, in my opinion, while they were playing at UW. I also don't have any sense or feeling that hey. Sam Heward really should play this season. Like, I'm really excited to see Michael Penix. And I think everybody is super pumped to come back. And I don't have for a second a hesitancy of like, oh, this cost us Sam Heward. Like, I generally think that's a bad way to approach college athletics in general of like, it's going to cost us a kid. But even through that lens, the upside of of a year with Michael Penix drastically outweighs sort of the... The, the question of if you'd get more out of Sam Heward if if, if Penix had left. Yeah, and, and this is the cost, right? Like, you, you can't go out and, and recruit a high-level experience transfer and expect that there's not going to be any trickle-down effect on, on your quarterback roster. Um, and so it's it's that combined with the fact that, you know, this was not Sam Heward's job if Michael Penix Jr. had left he would have had to compete with Dylan right. Morris, who, by the way, was ahead of him on the depth chart the entire season, and who this coaching staff has had you know, nothing but, but positive things to say about. So you know, Dylan Morris would have had every reason to think he could have, he could have gone out and won the job. But you know, the truth is, if Michael Penix Jr. had left, it, it, you know, I, I probably would have put my money on um, TBD being the starter in 2023. Oh, really? You- yeah, I think, I think they would have gone back into the portal. I do. Interesting. And you know, the, so that that probably puts Sam Heward in the same spot. So maybe it's overstating it to say that it's a it's a Penix real you know, return thing. That like, that's basically what I wrote, and that's what Sam said. Like, you know, yeah, that was a big factor. You know, knowing that I would be coming back, competing to be the backup, not competing to be the starter. So like, it, it's definitely a thing. But I, I think even if Penix had left, I don't know that the numbers would have shaken out in in favor of Sam Heward. You know, staying at Washington. I just it's it's funny how things work out, you know, like if on signing day in 2021, someone had said to you, hey, um, Sam Heward's going to transfer after two years. You probably would have thought that'd be an indictment on like the health of the program. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, man, something went terribly wrong. Like what? 
how how bad, how bad have things gotten at Washington that Sam Heward is going to leave after two years? But you know, it's just the the case that they went out and got their guy. He played as well as anybody could have possibly expected him to play, and probably better. He's a you know, it's it's a surprise that he's coming back, and you know, this is what happens. It's, it's really hard to keep the same three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster year to year. Can I pause for just a little bit of sort of recruiting rant, complaint sort of stuff? Always. It does underscore how ridiculously high the assumptions and expectations get set in recruiting. Because if you go back to when Sam Heward committed, right? Now, he committed and then enrolled in the spring, right? The spring of what would have been his his high school senior season. Am I, I'm correct on that, right? Yeah, he, he played either three or four games of their very delayed pandemic senior season in the spring. Right. And then enrolled at Washington two days after he broke the state passing record. The recruiting, like Savelle Smalls and Sam Heward were the two big in-state gets. Am I, am I right about that? Am I remembering the correct class? They are the, they are, well, Savelle was a year before, but they are the, they're the two five stars on the roster, yeah. And you look at the impact, like ultimately, and it's not, I don't want it to come across as I'm criticizing the players at all, but the emphasis that people put on recruiting and stars and what it means to keep kids and all of those things puts the cart three or four rungs in front of the horse where it should be. Like you want to recruit well, and it's better to to recruit higher regarded talent. But the amount of development and uncertainty and just how things change in inexplicable ways with head coaching changes and all those makes it very silly to assume that the recruit rankings are going to translate directly to what you see on on the field like it's I think the NFL draft gets overblown in importance and the NFL draft is a significantly more accurate predictor of impact I believe than the sort of the the recruiting rankings yeah it it's um it's tough because like no quarterback asks to be a five-star no like you get that assigned to you and it's you know you even you think about some of the guys in in washington who were were big-time quarterback prospects and maybe didn't have the career people expected and you know you go back to jake heaps and the numbers he put up in high school he, he was not a five-star recruit he was a he was a four star guy. There have been guys who who didn't even have like the the recruiting profile that Sam Heward did, who got a lot of you know a lot of hype and and had a lot of really high expectations placed on them. So then you you talk about someone who's a top twelve. He was the number twelve prospect in the in the composite in the twenty four seven sports composite in his class. He was a he was a legit five star. He had that rating for a long time. He put up crazy numbers. Um, you know, he broke he broke. Jake Heaps state pass or excuse me uh, Brett Rippon's state passing record. So I mean, and, and then you you add in the family pedigree, and there was there was kind of everything there to lead people to think that you know this was going to be the next great quarterback at Washington, and it might just be the case that you know he you see five stars and you you think about some of these guys who started big time blue blood programs early, like a Trevor Lawrence, 
And it might just be the case that he was a different kind of prospect. He was more of a developmental prospect. And that doesn't mean that he shouldn't have been, you know, a top 100 quarterback. That doesn't mean that evaluators were wrong when they looked at him and said, like, this guy should be a really good, you know, power five starter. It might just be the case that he needs a few years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I see it from his, you know, he, he was very honest, um, very, you know, by the way, like very professional about how he handled this. I was <laughs> sitting there, I was sitting there at my desk and, a group text message pops in and it's Sam Heward to all the local media saying, Hey, you know, just want to let you guys know men are in the transfer portal. Really appreciate you guys. And, you know, the relationships we built and, you know, getting yeah everything going back to high school and all this stuff and said, Hey, I, and, and if you guys want to jump on a zoom this afternoon, I'd be happy to answer some questions. You know what? Can I just pause? It's hilarious that you described it as professional. It is. Well, that's where we're, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. <laughs> it is very professional for this amateur. It is. Like, I, 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 I agree with you, and I don't think it's an incorrect, but it's very funny. It's a – look, he's done everything that he's handled through this, and it's, it is not, it's not easy, um, not just because that of the family legacy, but who, who his family's been in the area. Like, that's tough. I think he's been really graceful about it, and um, – I do wonder, it doesn't seem he's as highly regarded now, nationally, as he was when when he was recruited, which is kind of odd, right? Because he hasn't played all that much. Like, there's not anything that would have happened, I guess, if you sit there and say, like, oh, he didn't beat out these older guys, or he didn't beat out... But, dude, it's weird to think that that is somehow a knock, but that's a reflection of sort of the uncertainty of forecasting how how a player is going to fit in a system or how much perception goes into what we regard as the 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 measurements of ability it's unfortunate you know it's it's too bad just for for him that it it worked out the way it did because he you he had such high expectations and that kind of thing leads to so much pressure and i i think he's he's been raised to to sort of greet those challenges and, and handle them in a healthy way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he really, he really wanted this, you know, like this, this wasn't a case of a kid feeling like I, well, I, I have to go to Washington. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad went there, my mom went there, my grandpa played there. My, my uncle was a, was a quarterback there. Well, geez, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'll, I guess I'll just go to Washington. Like he, he wanted it for himself. Like he wanted that to be his journey that's the school he grew up rooting for. He, he, you know, this wasn't something like, well, I, I, it's what I'm expected to do, so I'll do it. You know, he really, he really wanted it, and he wanted to be there, and I think he still wants to be there. You know, like I didn't get this wasn't this wasn't someone who was just like, you know what, it turns out this program just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, just, uh, I, I need, I, I need, a, I need to start over somewhere else, right? It was, I, I think he, I think everything was right except the playing time. You know. You said kind of it's too bad, and I understand that. I'm not sure that'll necessarily be the case, though. This is the path he's on, and this has not gone the way he hoped in terms of playing time, the way any player would have hoped, and he's going to end up going somewhere else. He might be better off for the two years of development that he had and the familiarity he has in another system, Maybe it's refined what he feels is a good fit for him. Like, 
all of this is information for him and it's not and and this is probably the what happens in short-term results does not translate or dictate what your long-term trajectory is and there is way too frequently uh, a consensus that is drawn I'll go back to one of the players that I mentioned previously, Savelle Smalls. He still might emerge and have a really, really productive season and a great future. Like, we we tend to put an expectation on somebody, and if they don't fulfill it, kind of discard them or say, look, it wasn't as good as it looked. And the development schedule might just be a little different. This might end up being the best thing possible for Sam Heward and the the lessons he he's learned over the two years and playing for two different coaches you, you don't we don't know how that will will come out um I but I get what you're saying and I agree with it in the sense of he wanted that to happen for him at Washington and it's not going to like for some factors that he had no control over and for some, in terms of his performance, that, that he presumably did. But it, but it didn't happen. How, how he responds to the, the next opportunity, like, that's, that's kind of, that's what determines how his, his ending or his path. This could just be a different, a different route he ends up having to walk than he anticipated, which is true for almost all of our lives, that we have to adjust to unexpected occurrences. So it's a... We have a tendency to want to put a bow on someone's this is how it happened and why it didn't happen and there's a there's a little bit of mystery and there's still a lot of story to be written. I guess I'm I'm violating the uh the credo of deserves got nothing to do with it <laughs> by, by saying that it's it's a bummer it didn't work out. No, like, I get, yeah, I get, if if it if it does work out for Sam Heward, that means that by definition it had to have not worked out for another quarterback. Like did that guy deserve it less, you know? Yeah. It's, but it, but I get what you're saying, right? Because it's, and and we also understand sort of the conclusion. Look, I'll be I'll be the knuckle dragger fan right now, which is that if you were going to put a bow on Sam Heward's UW time right now, you would say, kind of didn't what didn't quite live up to the expectations of what we thought we're going to get it, and in two years kind of wasn't clearly ahead of Dylan Morris on the team's depth chart. And it's good that he'll go somewhere else, but the fact that we don't know where he's going yet or the fact that there's some uncertainty about what the landing spot is kind of shows that, like, it's... He was someone whose recruiting ranking didn't reflect his performance, so to speak. And that's that's a very shallow interpretation of it, right? Like, there's a lot of limited information that we're making some big sweeping generalizations on. I mean, I remember, and I don't think it was misplaced. I think it reflected what a lot of people were thinking, like before the season when they named Penix the starter, and you kind of said, like, "Yeah, I, I get it. I'm, I'm sure he is the best quarterback on the roster, but I, I sure would have liked to have seen Sam Heward." Yeah, you know, it's I, like I think that's the prevailing thought that you never really got to see what he could do. He started the Apple Cup, which I, I continue to maintain was bordering on coaching malpractice to put him in that in that position in that season. The way things were, the way things had played out, this game that, in retrospect, they had no chance in, and and that's that's where you're going to give him his first start, you know. And so, it's too bad that that's sort of the that's sort of the last, you know, extended memory people have of of his playing time <laughs> that in was Washington. Such a stupid decision. 
And, and it, it kind of went under the radar because it was like, well, uh, well, the season's over and who are they going to hire as their new head coach? You and, know? And, and it's hard to get that pissed about it because you're like, presumably he wanted to play and it's not like there's a head. But God, that was dumb. The one game you start him in is that game. And people were thrilled. <laughs> yeah. People had wanted to see him all season. And I here you go. Back. You get to you know, it's they're, they're not going to make a bowl game. They fired their coach. This big, you know, mysterious transition time. But hey, at least you get to see Sam Heward have a game. And I was kind of thinking like, man, you're you're really going to do this to him? Like this yeah. is the spot you're going to throw him into? And I I I don't think that Sam would would have that perspective on it. I think, you know, he wants to play. Obviously, right. he wants to play. It's why right. he's leaving Washington, but I I did think like, man, is this is this really the best thing for the player, really? Do you remember what my opinion was cuz I don't? Mm. I will. I I think you wanted to see him all season. A lot I did. did. I definitely did. But when they finally decided to give him the Washington State game, I I kind of think I was so mad at that point that I was going to be mad at whatever they did. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to listen back because I'm curious if <laughs> if I'm if I've completely changed my tune and I was like, finally, eh, get him out there. I want to see it. I don't care if it's because you're right. It was. <laughs> Talk about the worst sort of setup for it. It's like, here you go. Yeah. Washington State primed to end this horrific losing streak against a Washington season that is completely belly up in the ditch, giving off fumes. Good luck, Sam. Interim coaching staff. God. Junior Adams is your offensive coordinator, right? He's calling plays at that point. Yeah, which he might have been. <laughs> Might have done it better than Donovan did. Oh, <laughs> uh, I haven't checked on old John Donovan to see if he's going to retain his re- retain his quality control gig that he's that, he, that that he's been nursing. Yeah, maybe they their uh, loss to the Lions maybe didn't help. <laughs> oh God! That um, was do you like? Do you want to see him? Do you want to see Sam Heward land? You know, nearby in the Pac-12 or. I don't, somewhere, I don't want to see him at Oregon. Somewhere where you can have a little bit of a platform. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see him play. Um, I just don't want him at Oregon. Like, I had some... I I, I have a lot of uh, admiration. I really like Hugh Millen. And when his son committed to Oregon, I was like, I was like, that would probably be one of the hardest things for me to watch, is if is if Hugh's son was really, really good at Oregon. Because I'd be happy for the kid. Um, and, and really happy for his dad. But God, that'd be... So... Yeah, I I would. I, I'm interested to see what happens. Like, there's a couple different paths he could take. Right? He could go to. It doesn't seem like there's a natural spot in the Pac-12 where, like, hey, we need a starter right now. But it also seems like, I mean, there's going to be a lot of familiar. There's got to be a lot of coaches that would really love to have him there. Does he go for immediate playing time, which I would presume is his biggest push? Or does he go for where the best fit, not this season, but next season, 2024, is going to be? I think it's, I mean, if you take him at his word, which I think is fair, I think it's got to be for immediate playing time, right? right? Like, his whole thing was that he didn't want to, he didn't want to stick around and compete for, you know, a ceiling of being the backup. I think, he, you know, availability, opportunity may dictate that. And he kind of acknowledged, like, yeah, I know I'm, um, it's a little late to be going into the portal. Most schools already have their guys, so like, I think his expectations are are realistic. You know, I think he's he's got a clear head about what's possible at this point. But so you know, maybe maybe it's just it's the case that 
you know, the only schools that have starting jobs open that reach out, he doesn't feel like it would be a great fit. And, you know, there's a, but there's other schools that are telling him, well, you could definitely be our guy next year. You'd be right in line. You know, we think you can start for us in 2024. And, you know, would that be, would, would that be attractive enough if, if better opportunity for 2020 for 2023 doesn't exist? I don't know. Um, Cal Poly is an interesting an interesting option. That's where the high school get, coach is, right? His high school yeah, coach, Sheldon Cross, his his coach at Kennedy Catholic, just took. I mean, literally like a week ago, so, took the offensive coordinator job at Cal Poly under Paul Wolf, and you know that would be like again it, two years ago if you'd said, "Hey, Sam Heward's going to leave Washington," you wouldn't think a school like Cal Poly would even be in the in consideration. You know, they're FCS, but um, if if that's where the opportunity is and obviously you know he couldn't know the offense any better he couldn't have a, a closer relationship with a coordinator anywhere else you know he he said i asked him about you know are you are you set on trying to stay in power 5 or what are you kind of thinking and he said like hey i don't have i don't have a school a conference a level yeah you know, i don't care i don't necessarily care if it's power 5 um i don't know if that extends down to i'd be i'd be willing to drop below fbs but We'll see what the we'll see who reaches out. So, what would it look like if he goes to Cal Poly? First of all, it's a fantastic place to live. <laughs> like that is an underrated, fantastic college town. Like it's absolutely fantastic. Um, could you go there and play for a year and and use it as like an audition or a development year? Well, <laughs> the. So there, there is a a not insignificant number of people suggesting that wherever he goes, he could someday come back to Washington, which I wouldn't. You, I mean, this is college football in twenty twenty three. You don't, you can't rule anything out. Yeah, that, the NCAA that did announce insane. literally this week that like they're trying hard to crack down on the the multiple immediate eligibility transfers. <laughs> Good luck, suckers. <laughs> They're basically like, if you've already transferred, you need and you want to transfer again and be immediately eligible. Like, it, there needs to be like a very obvious reason why. Well, but if he's you, going to, if he if he went to an FCS, would that change it? I don't think so. Okay, because it's still Division One. Uh huh. It's Division One football. <laughs> it's not intramurals. <laughs> it's not intramurals, brother. <laughs> I don't know. I still just I have a I have a hard time seeing him go from Washington to an FCS program. I feel like there'll be enough, if not Power Five, then Group of Five interest that it, you know he. I know people, people have thrown out Fresno State with Jake Hayner moving on. Uh, the the Washington I, Fresno State pipeline. I don't know what their depth chart looks like. Maybe they've got a guy they like, but would you, I don't know if I'd rather play at Fresno State than Cal Poly. I'd certainly rather live. In- I'd certainly rather go to school uh, at Cal Poly than than go to school in Fresno. Obviously, the level of competition is there. I just I could see that being really attractive, and the fact that Sheldon Cross relatively recently, like it's him going to Cal Poly. I'm not saying that's what triggered it, but like the timing lines up, and it is a little bit later than other guys have entered the portal. And if he went there and was like, "I'm gonna have a year put up." massive stats uh, in an offense that I fam- I'm epically familiar with and then and then hop somewhere else after that I I could see that yeah so we'll see it would be uh yeah but man that would be that that, w- 
that that would be strange. That would be that would be a significant dip in 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 level of competition. Um, yeah. How do you think Wolf will do with that job? You know, I I don't know. I he was he had some pretty successful teams at Eastern Washington. Um, How about he's kind of been? Yeah, the, I just. I, th- so I throw out his wazoo tenure entirely if we're if we're judging how can he win at a at a lower level. Yeah, that's probably true. God, they were so bad. Yeah, and um, they weren't good. Cal Poly was not good last year. Yeah, have you been down there before? I have not. It's God. It's a great place. Like I, I'm probably I have a couple friends that went there. So I'm probably biased against it, but it's like it's a beautiful part of the country. It's a great college town. Like that is seriously. People were wondering who was the um, who was the basketball coach? Was it Joe Calero that went from Seattle U as they were getting ready to move like down there? And people were like wondering why. And I was like, have you have you ever been down there? Like, God, that's a great place. <laughs> like, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. You could do worse. Yeah, you could do worse than. <laughs> Going down and like, because you remember Troy Williams? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, he left Washington and went to a JUCO. Uh huh. And had a, had a great year at a JUCO and went back up at Utah and it was yep. like a one year stop. I, I don't know that you'd be allowed to treat an FCS program that way, but why not? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, I, the, it, the NCAA is terrified of getting sued by kids right now. Like, like that and. I literally like everything that I read about the NCAA when they're like, oh, we're going to try to crack down on this. I was like, how do you think you're going to do that? Like, you're terrified of getting sued. All the legislators hate you. Like, there's no, there's, they've, they've now basically been told by multiple different state legislatures and even at the congressional level, like, your rules on amateurism are stupid. Like, we hate them. And so it's it's very funny to me to hear like with the incident, well, we're really going to try to get our hands around this. Like how you guys you guys have no power. It, it really feels like to me. And feel free to push back. Like maybe I'm being like overreactive to it, but it seems like the NCAA has never been this powerless. Well, what would they do if someone just took like a, a kid transferring for the second time? He applies for his waiver. It's denied, and then the team is just like, hmm, we're going to play him anyway. We're not and, that far uh, away from that, Christian. I, I dead yeah. serious. I don't think we are. I know. I am too. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, well, well, you can tell us we can't. And if you want to, you know, you'd, you'd get you'd get opponents and opposing coaches stepping in and stuff. And probably, ugly, but. but I mean, the the realistic way that that would work is you would have a legal fight over injunctions, right? Like the NCAA mm-hmm. would order, like he's he's not allowed to play. And then there would be a lawsuit filed, and part of it would be like we want an immediate injunction to bar this rule until the courts can rule on it. And everything, I mean, the direction of everything in this country right now is to think that the the NCAA is the most corrupt cartel we have going. It's it's wild. Um, I was also reading something today about like, and this is a little bit of like hopping hopping subjects, but. That the NIL, like the way that NI that uh, name image likeness deals are being covered, is insane. In that there's very there's basically no ability to regulate it or to 
make sure that people are telling the truth when they talk about the size of these deals. Like there's a huge amount there's a there's a large number of people that believe that what is being reported in the media is wildly inaccurate compared to what the players are actually receiving. Yeah, I any number you see, you just I just assume that it's BS. Now, I will say, like, The Athletic has done reporting on, um, and this was, I mean, back in the, back in, like, last spring, has reported on some deals where they literally reviewed the contract. So, I, that's why, like, when when people, when people kind of poo-poo a lot of numbers that get thrown out there, which I, I totally agree with, I think, I think for the most part, it's just, it's, pure conjecture it's it's like before nil when people oh this did you know it's just a well-known fact that this kid got you know 300k from this school or whatever and it's like okay well is it well known or is it just well talked about um i i know that the the figures that the athletic has put out there because there were a couple stories that Stuart mandel did um that that i think kind of kicked off the whole idea that you know quarterbacks could get seven figure deals and those sort of things um those were based on actual like literally seeing the actual documents um, but I, I think it is a very, very, very small number of people who are commanding that kind of money, at least out of high school. Yeah. It, this is something a lot of, pe- it's uncomfortable to talk about, but one of the biggest beneficiaries of NIL coverage has been some female athletes who have earned massive social media followings. Um, the New York times did a story on Libby Dunn who's a gymnast at LSU with a with a huge social media following and the 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 money that has come from that and then I saw last week where there was an issue I think it was a a gymnastics meet in Utah where there were tons of people who were there to see Livy Dunn and were basically obnoxious and insulting to other competitors there who were not Livy Dunn um there's there's a lot of we don't know exactly how all of that is going to shake out but like that would be something that I would lump under like not the intended effect of of NIL and I'm not going to say it's wrong and I don't want any of that to come across as a criticism of of Libby Dunn or anything but the way that the the way that the market is actually functioning with regard to name, image, and likeness, I don't think we have a great handle on that. And I, I also, I'll, the other thing that I'll throw in is idiot coaches like Narduzzi from from Pitt who was crying about it, or Mac Brown's been whining about it too, right? Um, if If those coaches say something about the amount of money that a player is getting from someone else's, so another school, um, for going there in terms of name image they should have to prove that like i would say that like they the like the the rampant fear-mongering that is going to come from those the 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 crybaby coaches is is going to be ridiculous and i don't think that's reflected in reality either it cracks me up the way some people talk about nil like and, and how little is understood about what it actually what first of all what those letters actually stand for like I, I've seen people wondering if uh, a player at a public school who earns a certain amount of money, well, is that public information? Would yeah. that be part of the public record? And it's like, why would a player's 
private endorsement deal be public knowledge? Because that's like really it's what it's supposed to be is an endorsement deal. Yes. Now you can you can quibble about whether putting a certain amount of money in front of someone and then you know creating a a year long schedule of appearances and events or whatever actually is uh, in line with what you're paying him. But that's you know that's a that that is a concern. But it's it's down the list. It's, um, yeah. Well, so. I think that's fascinating because I was thinking about the exact same thing this morning when I was reading through the story on NIL, where my question was, can, is this going to work if it's not transparent? Like, and from the other side of what you just brought up is, why would it possibly be transparent? Like, what, yeah. on, on what basis? Because you're right. What, but, did, be, what did Beats pay Colin Kaepernick? Right. We have no idea. I don't know. It's his, it's his money. It's right. his deal. But that's part of where NIL is, it's essentially being used as a workaround, right? We're not going to pay the players a salary. We're going to allow them to monetize and market themselves. But that creates a situation of, A, there's no transparency there. And, and honestly, there probably shouldn't be. But the other thing is, okay, you're going to leave the market to do it. Well, that's not necessarily a great idea either, and I'll throw out a couple reasons why, because what if there is, I don't know, say a gap in the marketing value between athletes based in part on their race? Like, how do you regulate that? How do you, we would all agree that that's a terrible thing to have happen. Should not happen. Like, you should not, uh, a white quarterback should not make more in an endorsement deal simply by virtue of his race compared to someone someone else. You can't regulate that, though. And I would say that what we know about American capitalism is that there probably will be those kind of differences, right? Like, you're not going to be able – the person I brought up, Livy Dunn, uh, is should a, a female athlete who meets traditional concepts – uh, like fills our traditional stereotypical is beautiful. Is it wrong for them to make a massive amount of money from name, image, and likeness? Like, no, you can't say it is because it's America and there's modeling and like that. That's an entire part of that. Is that a good situation in the realm of college athletics? Well, it creates some complicated questions to ask, and then you have no ability to regulate it. So, it's a it, it's. I, I hate to say, like, it's a fascinating topic because you're like, no, it's a really complicated question with a lot of really thorny issues. It's almost like uh, they should just be employees who are paid by by their employer. <laughs> yeah. And like they're, and they're so afraid. <laughs> they're so afraid to do it. Or I don't even know what what the what the reluctance to is is to it at this point. But, yeah, you're right. These third parties who. Uh, all the different loopholes they're trying to they're trying to exploit and all this all it's just these people bending these these gymnastics that we do to to try to make it seem it's like man this is so this is so patchwork and unsustainable but what would be sustainable is if we just acknowledge that football players in particular and you know again you know it's a, it becomes a very complicated uh a complicated discussion when you talk about well how do you fund all the other sports you sponsor that don't make money? But um, a lot of money being generated that that could be going into people's pockets as employees, and 
Uh, instead, we we concocted this ridiculous <laughs> system of third parties to try to pay them, but no one really knows what they're being paid. That's kind of like so Matt Brown, who writes the Extra yeah. Points newsletter. It's a really good newsletter. Yeah, he he made a, a good point a while back about like it's it's still not a level playing field because the people brokering these deals are experienced business people with proper experienced representation and resources behind them and there's no guarantee that any player who signs an nil deal has any of that many do many do and they're allowed to um but you know i'm sure there's deals being signed without agents or attorneys present yeah And, and these kids don't have like without that they don't have a concept of well what's good what's bad you know what what's normal what's boilerplate what should what should or shouldn't i agree to what's you know what's too little money to be worth my time when you factor in tax considerations what's well well i play this position and i put up these numbers in this conference what what are guys you like they don't have access to that information either so it's yeah. not it's still not a level playing field um i had to laugh when the the attorney for the Miami basketball player was like trying to hold the the school hostage yeah, yeah. last year saying that like he needs an NIL package that is more in line with his status on yes. the team and i'm like okay well then go get him one yep do you know what NIL means yeah it literally just means he's allowed to profit off his name image and likeness you're his attorney you're his representation if he's worth a certain dollar amount then by all means go get it there's not one like that's a lot of people think about NIL at Washington and they just default to Montlake Futures. Mm-hmm. Montlake Futures is a donor collective. Obviously they have the blessing and the the support if only, you know, morally or whatever cuz it's still weird on how <laughs> athletic departments can they can talk about it. Now they they can they can direct people to the collectives now. That's that's Oh, they allowed. can? They can, yeah. It did, it didn't just have to be like well, if you searched Google and perhaps yeah. we're looking for some sort of collective entity, you might be able to find something that, I don't know, identified based on region. <laughs> but people people have this idea that, like, oh, like the the collective that you hear the most about at any given school is, like, the proprietary NIL outfit for that school. And it's like, no, it's just one, it's one thing. It's, a gr- it's I think, a great resource for those guys. I'm sure a lot of guys would vouch that it's put money in their pocket that they wouldn't have otherwise, you know, per- perhaps a lot of money in some cases. But you, if if literally anybody wants to pay you for, for your, in, in exchange for your name, image, and likeness, like, you can do that. Doesn't have to just be... The, the collective that the school vouches for. Yeah, it's it, it it's it, it's a it's kind of like the legalization of drugs. What as marijuana started to be legalized around the country, there are all these unforeseen consequences and weird workarounds where it's like, okay, but you can't use banks for a legal weed business because it's not legal at the federal level. So everything's got to be done in cash. Oh, that's a freaking terrible idea like that. Now they're that, getting robbed all the time. Yeah, like all of these. But it's what you're seeing is a market being legalized in an extremely haphazard and sort of raw way where it's going to now be worked out sort of in process. And there's going to be tons of goofy stuff. I can't wait until a kid sues a company that stops paying him because he leaves the school he went to. Like, oh, there's all kinds of rumors about about 
unfulfilled promises and exactly kids not getting paid and right like what are you going to do at that point because i mean one of the facts it it takes a long time and it's really hard to get someone to pay you even when you have like a signed document of that person saying i'm going to pay you this for doing it. if they just don't do it like it's hard to get them to do it like it's not easy and you're not going to have uh the ncaa can't come in and say because the ncaa's kept itself out of it um yeah, it's it it's a really it it is and it goes back to the yeah or you could just treat them like employees because they're generating massive amounts of income uh and are fueling your entire economy but you're you're deciding to try and like well let's see if we can not <laughs> let's see yeah. if, let's see if we can not do that for as long as we can <laughs> this will buy us a few years <laughs> seriously I it's I was going to say though that that's how schools and their affiliated collectives are going to be able to claim the moral high ground mm-hmm. it's going to be like look we might we we might not be strictly following the ncaa rules as they're written but all our guys get paid you know <laughs> like we our our collective is funded we know where all the money's coming from we know where it's all going we know how much we have we know how much we're not going to have more importantly and we're not over promising Every person who's done a deal with us has been paid every cent they were promised. That's going to be that's the new moral high ground in NIL. It's gonna no matter be- where the money's going or whether the guys are still in high school. Or, eh, forget about all that. Do they get do they get paid? Well, then that's that's the that's the collective. That's the school that's doing it the right way. Yeah, we don't run kids off and we pay them every cent of the NIL that the, 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 <laughs> to which they are entitled. To close the loop on on Sam Heward before we we move on to to parsing this this Pac twelve. Uh, how the Pac-12 fared in, in postseason polls. I, the idea of him going somewhere, you know, balling out and then transferring to a bigger school or back to Washington or whatever, I, I don't think he is the type who's, like, just looking to rent a program for mm-hmm. a year that way. I think he's looking for, you know, somewhere he can he can thrive and get developed and, and you know, obviously play. That's that's probably the biggest priority. But I don't think, uh, I don't think he is thinking in those terms. I just I don't think that's the way he's wired. I wish him the best, and I'm going to be rooting for him wherever he ends up, as long as it's not Oregon. Don't think it'll be Oregon. Nope. That'll nope. kind of de- defeat the purpose, considering uh, what their quarterback depth chart looks like. The Washington Huskies finished the season ranked number eight in both the AP and the coaches' polls, uh, higher than any Pac-12 team. Did you Did you see that coming? I, I didn't. Um, it's not shocking, but it's not really... I know it matters, and it's good for him next year. But it's weird to say that, isn't it? They're, they were the number they're the number three team in the conference, and they didn't play in the championship game, and they played in a lesser bowl game than against a lesser opponent. Well, is Texas lesser than Tulane? Yeah, Tulane was a good team. Tulane was feisty. So it feels it feels like one of those weird things of how it gets determined afterward that doesn't really reflect the reality. Yeah. Um, did you see, did you see the final? So the, the coaches poll each week, you, you don't know which coach voted for which team, but in the very last poll, they do release it. Um, and did, did you happen to see that graphic? No. Kalen DeBoer had Washington sixth. Good for him. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Him and, uh, I think it was Troy Calhoun at Air Force. Uh-huh. Were the only the only coaches to have Washington 6th. 
That's great. I tweeted it. I'm going to find it to make sure of that. <laughs> um, so who did that put them above? Sorry, Ken Wilson at Nevada was the other coach to have Washington at sixth. Jake Dickert and Troy Calhoun had them seventh. Interesting. And, so are they, are they, they must be Shiano like... had them lowest at 14th. Uh, Shiano's a tool. <laughs> I don't like Shiano. <laughs> like, it's probably an irrational dislike of him at this point, but I really don't like Shiano. Um, so if you put him at six, is it like Alabama... Like Alabama's the team between them and the four teams that are in the college football playoff? I believe so. Um, yes. Georgia, TCU, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama was DeBoer's five. So Tennessee, Penn State, I guess Tulane. Yeah. Uh, he, he had LSU ninth and oh. Kansas State tenth. Then Florida State, Utah, Clemson, and then Tulane. Jeez, that's that's way too high for Kansas State. Um, I, are those respectable showing for the Pac-12? Like I, I thought the Pac-12, the USC did them no favors, but the enjoyment that I got from watching USC lose to Tulane like vastly outweighed any sort of conference pride that 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 I felt along the way. I, I thought I thought the Pac-12 looked looked good overall. Like Oregon State played well. Yeah, I, I wasn't bummed by the, the, the performance in the bowls. Oregon finished ahead of Oregon State in both polls, which is strange to me. Yeah, that's that's a reflection of how many of them live east of the Mississippi, though, right? How many of the voters do? Although, I do think it's... I mean, they finished with the same record, and Oregon State beat them. I think voting has evolved to the point where like the head-to-head is not everything anymore. And, and if you look at... you know, Oregon played Georgia... So if Oregon had played Oregon State's non-conference schedule, they'd be 11-2 and two with, a, with a very narrow head-to-head loss on the road where they led by three scores in the fourth quarter. I don't know if that's good or bad. Christian, but. this is America. Like, if you finish with the same record, the first tiebreaker is head-to-head. And if one team with the same record beat the other team with the same record, the team that won that game should be ranked ahead of them. And anybody who does it differently is a, is, is a godless communist. What if their what's their game control ranking though? <laughs> See none of that, none of that. Godless FBI. communists, all of this, all, all that is the strength of schedule. Like none of that. If the two teams played and they have the same record, the team that won finishes ahead. What was the FPI? <laughs> you know what stat I found that I I think like. It, if you could only look at one single statistic about a team season to give you an idea of like kind of how it went, I think this is probably the one that's most representative of Washington's year. They they punted 25 times this year, fewer than any team in the FBS and fewest of any FBS team in a full season, so throwing out 2020, yeah. since Navy in 2007. Hell yes. I, I am such a huge fan of never punt. Like, I... I absolutely I love how often DeBoer goes for it like all of that like I'm I'm very excited might be one of my favorite things about DeBoer is how aggressive he is on fourth down the thing is they were not like crazy off the charts in terms of fourth down conversions nope they only went for it 28 times which was like 43rd or so oh really oh so they weren't even that high the thing is that they were so good on third down yeah 
they were they led the country in third down conversion rate by like three full percentage points over the next best team. And so when you're converting on third down, you don't have to go for it as often on fourth down. I also like their their fourth down conversions that they went for. I can only think of a couple where the obvious alternative would have been to punt. Oh, interesting that they were usually passing up a long field goal. Well, because I mean, there was the one they didn't get deep in their own territory against ASU. Mm-hmm. There was a basically identical circumstance in the Alamo Bowl that they did get. Those were the only two that I can think where they were like deep, where it was like ninety nine percent of football coaches over the years, and every football coach before like you know twenty twenty is punting this. So it's not you know it's it's not like they were. They ran up against all these like punting situations, or or maybe they were on the opponent's side of the field and not in field goal range. But like, clearly, you just there's no reason to punt there, so they're going to go for it type of thing. But yeah, they weren't they weren't this amazing like fourth down team. I knew that their percentage wasn't that high. I'm surprised to hear the number of attempts was that low, but that probably just reflects how proficient their offense was overall, like how how good it was. And maybe I've just spent too much time watching the Seattle Seahawks. And I have a mistaken, I, I have a, a inaccurate judgment for what normal fourth down dec- decision making now looks like in in football and in college football specifically because Pete it loves. There is nothing that makes Pete more excited than punting just past midfield, like just in the other <laughs> opponent, just into like I want to pin him deep. Like God, if there was, I think Michael Dixon's a great punter. If I could eliminate one player off of the Seahawks roster, it would be Michael Dixon because I wish that they had a terrible punter so it would make Pete less willing to do that. I like watching him punt. I wish they would punt every possession. God, you Jim Moore wouldn't get over like, oh, I'm so excited to go watch the punter. It's like, God, that's why. <laughs> why do you want to watch punting? Who wants to watch punting? Oh, you watch how he, how, how he kills it inside the fight. Who cares? It's like, oh, man, I really want to see this guy work with his pitching wedge. Jesus. Like, watch him hit it off the tee. Like, that's fun. Or putting. Who wants to watch wedge work? How many points do you think Washington would have scored against Georgia? I think they get to 20. Yeah. I always think, in, because it's the team that I cover, whenever I'm watching the playoff or the, the championship game, I'm, I'm always trying to think, like, okay, like how would, Although, how would Washington match up in this game? How would a what, man? team match up in this game? Like, you can say a lot of things about TCU, but that offense was explosive. And they only got seven? I, th- I still think, I think they get 20. I think having a quarterback like Penix... Like I think that is one of the the equalizers. Like I I do think I don't know if they'd ever force Georgia to punt. Like that they would be more likely to score twenty points than they would be to force a single Georgia punt. <laughs> yeah, if you're Washington, that's probably more than anyone a uh, a leave the punter leave the punter at the airport game. <laughs> God. Well, I mean, yeah. he can come and and have you know get, get to experience, ride ride the roller coasters and play with the dolphins and stuff. But. Get his swag back <laughs> and thanks yeah. for coming, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> it, it would be a higher likelihood. Like I would say, it's like a fifty five percent chance of them of of them scoring twenty points, and then it would be like a thirty five percent chance of them forcing a single punt. <laughs> 
because that's the that's the goal is to get to that stage next year and it feels it feels like they're closer to getting back into the four team playoff the last year of it as it as it turns out than than they have been and and probably closer at this juncture than anyone would have guessed that they'd be a year ago mm-hmm. but do you do you want that yeah if, hell yeah and it, the answer I mean it's obviously yes you want to, you want to make it to the highest levels but i'm just i'm watching I'm watching TCU to get absolutely destroyed while only their fans get rained on in the the top section of of SoFi. And I'm just thinking like this is it's unfortunate that they had the season they did and you know it's just truly remarkable that they mm-hmm. made it that far and then of course that they beat Michigan and that you know now here they have this just 4-hour window of everyone making you know laughing about what a blowout this is and well how do they belong here and yeah Georgia won the championship last week when they beat Ohio State and, uh-huh and i feel like that part of it diminishes the season a, a little bit like there wasn't it was a, it was a question in 2016 of like well do you want Washington to go to the playoff and and probably get smacked by Alabama which i think they showed better than a lot of people expected at least defensively mm mm-hmm. mhm or would you rather them go to the Rose Bowl and like play this competitive game against Penn State and get to finish the season, you know, with a Rose Bowl victory? And I there was a non-zero number of people who would have rather seen them in the Rose Bowl. I think that question is you watch you watch that Georgia team and it's like, well if if that's what awaits you in the championship game, obviously it's you you're you're better off going than not, but mm-hmm. that that championship game viewing experience is not going to be a pleasant one. Yeah. So in 2016, I was still very much of the opinion that I hated the BCS and then the successor, the playoff, that I felt that it was it was not solving any of the problems that people wanted it to and that it was actually devaluing something that I really liked, which was the traditional bull lineup. Like I was like, I don't, I don't think this fixes like the, the how mad everybody gets when there's not a consensus national champion isn't that big a problem, and I want when Washington wins the Pac-12 to go to the Rose Bowl. Like that's that's what I want. I don't want when Washington if when they won the conference if they won the conference that year, I I didn't I I wasn't worried about them going to whether or not they were going to make the playoff. That changed while watching the championship game. That changed while watching them beat Colorado. And I felt very clearly and distinctly at the end of that game, I want to see this team tested. Like, I want to see how good they are. I, I the, the only loss they had was in a game against USC, and I thought that they learned a lot from that. I want to see how they are. Um, and then going to I, – I went to the Peach Bowl. I thought they played well. I thought they showed they belonged in that game. They did not have a quarterback that was capable of... You needed a better quarterback than Washington had to beat that Alabama defense. Like I thought that was that was very clear to me. But I thought Washington's, Washington's defense showed it belonged in that game. Um, if you get into a scenario like what happened to TCU, it sucks. And there's nothing you're going to do to say like, oh, it's okay. Like... When you lose a bowl game like that, it's awful. And when it happens in a huge stage, there's no mitigate. Like in those games, when I've seen Washington just get housed, I, the closest, 
the closest Washington game to the TCU loss that I th- is the 2001 game against Miami, like where I believe it was the same score. Was it? I think it was 65 to seven. Yeah, like where it's just like okay, like you thought you were a good program and you're not. Like you're not. You you don't you don't belong on the same field with this team. But that's going to feel that way no matter where that game is, and it's better to shoot for it. And say, like, yeah, you might get exposed and pantsed in front of God and everybody. And then if that happens, you just have to be a grown-up about it and say, like, we got throttled. But you always, like, you'd be a pretty sorry college football fan to feel that, like, if we're going to get destroyed, I'd rather not be there. Like, if you're a TCU fan and you're like, all things being equal, I wish we hadn't made the playoffs— like that would require you to have a one loss team and say like we know we're not really good enough and we don't want to go through this plus you'd miss out on that awesome victory over Michigan. Like that was a really great game. Um so I get what you're saying, but I would think that anybody who didn't want the playoff berth uh should should paint their bellies yellow cuz you're a little chicken. You're yeah. you're a little chicken. Yeah, and I think I don't know that anybody truly would actually feel that way. No, but there is. Like, I mean, man, when you get pants like that, like that's the worst, right? Like, what do you say if you're a Texas? And and not only that, you spent thousands of dollars to go there and get rained on while it happened. <laughs> that was so funny. It was hilarious. <laughs> that's just it was hilarious. Really funny. Um, um, did you did you listen to Kirby Smart's uh, pregame speech? That was the the leaked audio that was making the rounds. I didn't. What did he say? just typical football coach stuff about you know it was it was it was very uh it was very explicit and but just the i mean just the confidence like yeah. you you listen to him the way that he talks to his team before the game and it's like these guys know that they're going to go ragged all these guys yeah like these guys just know like you know it was a lot of just hey you know we you're prepared for this go go kick their ass basically and it was longer than that but and, and more profane. But uh, he j- I just l- listened to it and thought, like, you know. Now, hey, maybe Sonny Dykes was was given a similar speech in the other locker room. Somehow but. I don't think so. <laughs> that guy's the least charismatic, like, big-time football coach I've ever seen. You think so? I, I do. I, I've always really liked him. Really? Yeah. He seems to me like he's almost half asleep when he's talking. Well, I just think he's, I think he's down to earth. Yeah, but that's... That's weird for a college football coach, isn't it? It is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's he for the for being the son of a coach. He's he's a lot less coachy yeah. than a lot of coaches. Um, and I think he was one who kind of resisted it, you know, earlier in his life. Um, Chris Camrani wrote a really good story about why sons of coaches go into coaching, and I think he was he was one who didn't didn't necessarily see that as being his path. Um, but then kind of found it and fell in love with it and all that. I just remember when he was at Cal, he was like the least paranoid coach there could possibly be. All his practices were open. Yes. And he'd talk about whatever. And He seems like a know. normal person. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to college football coaches who are nuts. Maybe that's why they lost 65-7. to My <laughs> coach wasn't crazy enough. No. I think it's got, got a little something to do with the uh, the dudes. Yeah. 
that was certainly that was that was certainly on display out there. Um, I guess like I'm just I'm wondering if the time and it's about to be a 12 team playoff, so it'll be a different discussion. But like when you get down to the semifinals, when you get down to those four teams, like is there ever going to be a time when people who watch Pac-12 football all year don't feel like they're watching a completely different sport when they watch the the playoff? They got to start playing some defense, right? Yeah, I mean they they need they got it they. You need the athletes in the trenches. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's that's where the biggest differentiator is. Like Georgia obviously has amazing skill talent, and they they got great dudes at, at DB and all those sort of things too. But like until you until you got you know Kirk Herbstreet was remarking on how good the how how tough of an assignment the backup D tackle was mm-hmm. for for TCU's offensive line. And like this is the backup. This guy's fresh. You know, this guy's hundred percent. His battery's full coming in here, and they're just rolling those guys through there. Like that's really hard to do at a program on the West Coast. Yeah, like I mean, that's one hundred percent. If you're the biggest, the biggest differentiator in talent, um, and it's SEC teams have incredible wide receivers. Um, now, because I would I would say like the Pac-12 has I, I think has always stood out for the quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers. Like that that's the pro style. Um it was conducive to success at the next level. Like the SEC, uh the level of receivers that you get from from that conference is is top notch. But the biggest differentiator, the biggest gap is defensive line and it's not close. The edge rushers and the tackles. Like it's the the amount of of it's just it's a it is it looks like a different sport. Um, I, I'm not. Sh- do I think that if you went Pac-12, SEC, NFL is is an SEC defensive line closer to the NFL than it is to the Pac-12? Like I don't think so. And Georgia's is yeah, but but you you'd have to argue about it, right? Like I don't I don't think in general, but yeah, and Georgia's probably is. Like how many of those guys? Probably probably fifteen. Well, they're going to have fifteen I mean, of the guys have top fifteen D tackles taken in, in consecutive drafts. Yes, and you had was it? Did they? I mean, probably fifteen of the players on their defense. I would I would estimate play 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 meaningful time in the NFL over the course of like not just next year. Like there, but fifteen of those those guys off of that Georgia defense at some point will will play meaningful snaps in in the NFL. Like that's ridiculous. That's an insanely high number. Yeah, well, that's what that's what uh, Washington and the rest of the Pac-12 have to strive for next year. Although you know what Georgia needs to improve is the uh, the the frequency with which their players shove training staff in the NFL. Oh, that's right. Did you watch that? that? A, a Georgia first round. I did see that. Yeah, and then it was you know, it was his teammate from Georgia who kind of threw a shoulder into the same trainer. Yeah. I felt bad for him seeing his reaction. Oh, really? He, I I just it was so obvious he knew he messed up immediately and felt terrible. I, I at least in, in my view, yeah. looked like he felt terrible about it. He he did apologize. He did. He did a, a good apology. I, I just think you know you're out there. It's a violent game, and someone someone bumps into you, and it's just you know I don't think you're processing the whole situation in in real time there. And maybe I'm giving him too much benefit of the doubt. Like, I'll, of course, of course, of course, no no player should ever put his hands on a training staff. I mean, that's just obvious. And he completely deserved to be ejected and whatever fine he gets, like, no doubt about that. But he, I, 
I, it seemed like he immediately felt very bad about it. I think so. He's done it before. Did you see the clip from the game earlier this year? Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Now it's a little different. It wasn't the. It wasn't a. Tra- I don't know. I'm not sure if it was a trainer, but he tackled. I think it was the game against the Bills, Packers Bills, and he tackled. I'm not sure if it was Josh Allen, but he was out of bounds and it was on the Bills sideline. And kind of people gathered around to pull up the Bills player that was knocked down. And it wasn't a it wasn't a late hit, but he was not. He was like there was a collision collapse on the sideline and then and then quay walker shoved a non-uniformed member of the bill's sideline like and got ejected for that too so i was like maybe he's like like how grayson allen has this weird thing where he trips people and just can't (laughs) stop from doing like maybe that's quay walker is the same with like non-uniformed opponents like he just he's just he kind of finds himself constantly doing it it could be the grayson allen thing was so strange Dude, he's still doing it. Um, really, it's it's not it's not the same tripping stuff, but he still does stuff. Um, like the only reason he hasn't gotten his ass beat in the NBA is because they basically outlawed fighting. Um, people in that league hate him. Um, he who was it? He elbowed somebody a couple weeks ago, um, and it was it was just a completely abnormal play. Um, where and then the guy was furious with Grayson Allen. I th- I think they should allow That's some amazing. fighting. I think they should allow some fighting. I wish there was more fighting in sports. Yeah, in in basketball though. Yes, specifically in basketball because I think it's a, a the the fact that like the NBA decided that like we can't have fights happen because they might end up in the front row and those guys pay all that money for it and we just don't like how it looks. Like the fact that you can't fight has empowered hemorrhoids like guys that do stuff like Grayson Allen or Bruce Bowen because they don't have to fear getting socked in the mouth. Like if anybody played a pickup basketball game, the way Grayson Allen plays, like they would do that up until the point they ran into somebody who decided to, to, to punch them in the face. And in the NBA, they're like, no, 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 no punching in the face. So Grayson Allen's like, yeah, okay. I'm just going to go do all this annoying stuff all around then. Uh, I know the Seahawks have a, a playoff game on Saturday, and they do. Who knows? Maybe, maybe another one. We'll oh, see. that's probably. right. I'm talking myself into the fact they've got a chance. Probably not. But uh, how, how do you how do you pass this this dark period we've entered with no college football? Um, well, I don't start recruiting. Usually, I start to get into college basketball a little bit. You need to get into recruiting. <laughs> I know. I, I I fear that I'd be insufferable with it. <laughs> I I fear that I'd be what I, I would go. I would become the person who fights with everyone, though. Um, yeah, I would. Would you? Would you be? We didn't want him anyway, guy. No. Um, you'd be. You'd be support the kids no matter what, guy. I'd be support the kids no matter what, guy, and I would be the shameless homer. Like I, I, I think I would be toward like I'm not going to sit here and let stars like Washington wants who it wants, and they've made a history of developing the guys. <laughs> like the the players they pick are the ones that are going to turn out, and those are the ones that I really want. Like that, that's who I would be. Like I'm not sweating about the players that didn't pick Washington. I'm focused on the ones who did. You're you're tweeting at uh, Ari Wasserman. Development over stars. <laughs> Development. Is there an insane Husky? I mean, there's got to be an insane Twitter Husky community over recruiting. I mean, yeah. Twitter message boards. It's Is it mostly on message boards? See, like I don't do message boards at all. Um, 
What's the... Mm, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, the, the 24-7 sports network has a message board for every... Like, I'm going to say every Power 5 team and, and probably, like, most of the group of five, if not all of it. And, you know, every fan base is... It's all about... It's all about recruiting, man. It's all about the future. It's never, you know, we we don't care about the guys who are who are on the roster. Once as soon as they're on the roster, it's like, all right, yeah. fine, he's there. It's a weird three time All American. That's okay, great. Who's next? The NFL draft is like that too, where you're like, okay, like you spent all this time over these guys, and the vast majority of them, this is the most coverage that they're going to get. Is is what led up into that fifth round safety that you've talked about and profiled about how he's going to fit and what kind kind of prototype he is. That's the most you're probably going to write about him in his career. Um, and he ha- once he actually is a candidate to actually play, like he probably won't. He might make a, some special a, teams. A DB the Seahawks took in the 2011 draft from an FCS school, Mark Legree. Mark Legree, yes, <laughs> good poll. Oh yeah, I'm very remember, familiar with it, Mark Legree's story. Was it you or or Eric Williams who, like, during training camp, he just flat out was like, "Yeah, I don't think I'm making the team." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I should look at that because I, huh? My memory of Legree, I so, think that was him. So Legree was from App State. Um and Jerron Johnson, who was from Boise State, and was Jerron was furious he didn't get drafted, like was really mad. Um, basically, Jerron Johnson came in, was like, I'm, I'm going to beat out Mark Legree. Like, there's no chance. And I think from about the third or fourth day on, it was very clear that, that Mark Legree was not going to make the team to me. Um, and... There's even been a kind of a subsequent, a couple between the lines references um, between sort of how the Seahawks messed up on that, like the mistake they made in regards of his productivity at App State. Um, but I remember, I think afterwards, like one of the things Legree thought based on all the feedback he'd gotten from the coaches that he was fine um, and that he was shocked he got. And now I might be misremembering that. But he's one of the guys that I've had listed as an example of like Pete's unflinching optimism can lead some players to believe that they're safer than they actually are. Like he doesn't ever tell, he doesn't ever come up to a guy as like, look, if you don't start doing something, your ass is out of here. Like he's someone that's like, we really believe that this is the kind of player you can do. And here's the things we need you to work on. Like it's, it's relentlessly upbeat like that. And the, that can create a situation where guys feel the rugs pulled out from under him because he's not given a like, look, man, you are sixth in a four player race right now. <laughs> like you better do something. Yeah. That's maybe, maybe I'm remembering. No, no, I, just, I, I but it's I very possible. Maybe I remember there being someone in that draft class who didn't make the team who like seemed to, uh, Acknowledge that it likely was not going to happen like, <laughs> while he was still there. Could very well be Legree because it was maybe it was, it was evident. People were excited we, about him, man. Yeah, he had a huge number of interceptions. Um, but yeah, like that one was that one was very clearly obvious. Like from like day four or day five, you're like that. That's probably not going to work. Um, he's not fast enough to be in the middle of the field, and he's not nearly big enough. Uh, it it, it 
it doesn't appear that he has the instincts to make up for that lack of speed. Uh, I haven't checked recently, but I know at least a couple years ago, Jerron Johnson was an assistant at Eastside Catholic. Oh, really? I love Jerron. Jerron was, was I remember, tough dude. I remember he was fun. Yeah. Boy, he was tough, man. Like, there's... I, everybody in the NFL is tough. Like, he was an exceptionally tough player. Yeah. Chris Peterson guy. He is. He loved Chris Peterson. Well... I don't have any. I don't have any advice for you. Passing these next. Uh, <laughs> what are you gonna do? You gonna take some time off? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm taking two weeks off in February. Um, you gonna go somewhere? If that's TBD. Uh-huh. I'm not sure yet. Our daughter's. She's two now, so it's like she's in that phase where it's a little more fun to to branch out and maybe go to the beach or something, and she can enjoy things a little more. So maybe we'll go to the beach. I don't know. We got some plans. We got a lot of stuff. We got to get done around the house. So it might be a it might be one of those vacations. We'll see. I'm sure you'll all figure out how to how to get through the the dark no football periods. Fortunately, we'll we'll still be here to uh, to talk at you once a week about Husky football. Uh, update you on the transfer portal. Romo Dunze has to make a decision at some point. By the way, when the, does that the deadline to enter the draft is coming up on Monday? Oh, really? I didn't realize it was so soon. I guess that makes sense. We're almost we're, we're almost at the halfway point of of January, and then you've got the combine at the end of February. So maybe by the next time we we talk to you, uh, we'll we'll have a better idea of what Washington's receiver room looks like. Uh, but until then, take care, and we'll talk to you next week.